Today, I interview Maureen C. Berry. Maureen is the author of the cookbook Salmon from Market to Plate, host of the podcast Greenfish Blue Oceans, and speaks on the benefits of eating responsibly sourced wild and farmed seafood. She creates mixed media watercolor and wearable art to spread plastic pollution awareness. But that's not actually why I'm interviewing her today. That will be the subject of a future podcast interview with Maureen. But today I'm interviewing her about her cancer story. I've known Maureen for quite a few years and I was watching her creative career really start to blow up, really start to explode. And then all of a sudden, she had cancer. And I've been watching her journey from a distance. And it's been fascinating because she's been very open, very transparent, and very positive all the way through. Her attitude has been amazing all the way through it. But then what has been even more fascinating to witness is how quickly she bounced back and she clearly has even more zest for life than ever before. And I love talking to people who are really and truly creating and living the lives they want to live. And it looks like her cancer diagnosis and treatment barely made her skip a beat. And if anything, it is like she's been shot out of a cannon. It's been beautiful to watch her journey. And I thought it would be nice to have her share her story with us. Take a listen. Welcome to the Always Evolving Podcast. This is a podcast about living an awake, aware, conscious life. If it helps to evolve us as individuals, we will likely cover it at some point on this podcast. Because after all, we are always evolving and in always. I'm your host, Erica Boucher. I'm here today with Maureen C. Berry, and Maureen and I have been friends for quite a while, 15, 20 years maybe, but peripherally friends, right? We've met through some mutual friends and and I was following your journey on Facebook. I was watching some of the, the cooking. Um, I guess you were doing some cooking shows and you had your book that you were working on. And, and then all of a sudden things changed because you were diagnosed with cancer, right? That's correct, yes. And, and then since then, so I was following your journey and of course, sending you lots of loving energy and prayers. And then I totally appreciate. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I've been watching you ever since. And I have to say, if anything, your light is even brighter now than it's ever been. You are so inspiring. I appreciate you so much for saying that. And, And that's why I reached out to you to ask if I could interview you, because I think that I'm always impressed by people that are out there courageously living the lives they want to live. And so I thought maybe you could tell 
tell us your story, share your journey with us and how you started and, and where you are now. Oh, I really thank you for having me. Um, it's really nice to see you. And um, you. I actually got to put a little bit of makeup on. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I never leave the house without lipstick, but um, I really, before I've been, you know, in quarantine since prior to COVID, as you said, I was diagnosed with a rare soft tissue sarcoma. Um, and I know more medically than ever, but to clarify for some of your listeners or maybe yourself, um, sarcoma is um, a cancer of the connective tissue, whereas a cancer technically is a tissue of the organs. So they're both cancers, but it's just the way the medical community um, calls it. So my cancer is called liposarcoma, and it's uh, 1% of all the cancers diagnosed. It's pretty rare. Um, it's incredibly more ridiculous that um, it happened when it happened, um, because you think life is going on, and life was going very well. As you said, um, we've known each other since, I think, 2008, I was remembering. Okay. Or maybe before. That maybe sounds about before. right. That's yeah, maybe right. before. And um, at that time, I wanted to, you know, my husband said, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? And I was 47 years old. And I said, oh, you know, I think I'd love to write a cookbook. And I knew nothing about the writing industry or publishing. Um, I had been a food in the food service uh, professional for 22 years with a restaurant and um, selling groceries through Cisco to Epcot and Walt Disney World and a lot of chefs around the Central Florida area. And when I started to do some um, seafood buying and seafood selling, Specifically, I started to learn a little bit about the distribution system and how it was not very transparent. And things were really, um, I knew, for me, I thought, why can't I find um, Florida seafood for my Florida chefs when we are surrounded by water? And um, so the more I learned and kind of did a deep dive, I started doing some market re research and reports to my chefs. And I thought, when my husband had asked me, what do you want to do? I thought, well, I'm already writing about seafood. Why, why not just go for it? So I launched a blog. Um, at the time, it was called Seafood Lady Orlando. Not super original, but it was what it was. Um, I, I learned to write. I learned to take photographs. I learned to develop recipes. I took some writing courses, hired a writing coach. Um, and about that time, um, I set up a Twitter account and... Um, Monterey Bay Aquarium started seeing my tweets and reached out and offered me a media scholarship to come out to um, California to a big event that they used to do. Um, they paired scientists and media together to tell the story about seafood. Um, so once that happened, that was kind of my in to the direction I wanted to go. At that point, I decided what I needed to do was write about salmon which was a little bit um, what the industry didn't want us talking about. Um, at that time, we were talking about all the fish that we should be eating instead of salmon and tuna and shrimp. And those are the overfished species. But um, from my heart, I knew that people weren't going to not eat salmon. So I wanted to help them learn to eat the types of salmon that are good for you, the farmed seafood that is better for you um, than it used to be in the 50s back in the heyday. So I did a boatload of um, research about um, what that industry, how that industry had transpired. 
And um, I knew, of course, about the wild salmon industry. So I put this little book together. It's part history, part cookbook. It's called Salmon from Market to Plate. And it's going to be five years old already um, this Friday. Wow. So, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel like that was a, a very interesting segue into a whole different world for me. And um, my photographs started to get better. So I started to do some photography um, for a couple of websites. Um, I started to sell recipes. Um, I started to publish some, um, some articles and essays. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm, uh, I started to speak. So um, when I was diagnosed, so this brings us all the way back up to April of 2019. So um, I was approached by a friend and a sponsor who sponsored my trip to the Seattle Aquarium to speak to the seafood lovers and the ocean conservation people in that area about um, kind of about my journey and about why people should care about the seafood that they eat and what's happening in terms of ocean conservation. So we had scheduled a huge big weekend event. Um, there were 200 people in the audience. It was an interview on stage with one of the um, local meteorologists in the area, Jeff Renner, lovely, lovely man. And um, so it was a big hour long conversation. We did a book signing, we had food tasting stations set up prior to the interview and um, nice wine tasting. Chef Molly at the aquarium, like absolutely a gem of a person helped organize uh, my recipes. And so the next day was the post-luncheon meeting um, with a small select group of people. And at that time, like I knew something was wrong with me. I knew something was up. My belly was, um, was at that point distended. I actually looked like I was pregnant. And so trying to hide my big belly on stage was like not the easiest thing to do. Mm. Or at this event, um, I had some earlier, like in, I want to say like in February and probably in January, I started noticing some reflux, but my physical structure had not changed much. Um, I was at the gym. I was practicing yoga. I wanted to do a freestanding handstand. Um, in my yoga practice. So I hired a personal trainer to help me with some core and upper body strength. And um, at one training, we were working with some kettlebells and I had told Nick, I said, listen, um, when I start to do a new routine, um, use the word Udi Adabande. So I know how to center myself with my back, right? And it was the cutest little thing because he was had no idea what that meant. And so I explained that whole term to him and I'm sure your listeners know what that means. So um, during this kettleball repetition, he kept, he said, Udi Adabande, and I went to, you know, take my belly button to the back boat, and I couldn't, it was like something was in the way. And I said, oh, this is really odd. I, I can't, like, I can't do the maneuver. Um, so I didn't think much of it. Um, I started at that point writing a food journal, because I noticed I wasn't eating a lot. And I was only eating about a thousand calories a day. So for somebody at this point in my fifties, that's not a lot of energy. That's not a lot of calories. And it definitely doesn't I, explain why you have this distended belly when you're not eating any calories. Right. So I felt like I was more like it was, it was more than like middle-aged spread. Um, so for women that are not there yet, <laughs> it definitely does happen. You do have some thickening in the waist. And that was kind of what was happening to me. Like it was feeling like it was that thickening of the waist around like the center of my back and whatnot. So I scheduled um, an appointment with the local GI 
and we did a colonoscopy and an upper GI and um, he came back in and said, oh, that's great news. He said, you had, it was totally fair. Your esophagus looks good. Your stomach looks good. You had no polyps. There's nothing wrong. He goes, but you do have like a, a mass on your, um, on your belly. So we need to send you to the um, specialist and send you to a surgeon. And I, and we were, this was on a Wednesday and he said, so you're scheduled for Friday. So I, I left there like kind of in, in shock and I thought, well, okay, at least there's, I know there's something wrong now. We don't know what it is. So um, the uh, surgeons suggested that it was a GIST, which is an acronym for gastrointestinal stromal tumor. And um, excuse me, I have the dog with me and he's scratching to get out now. So okay, go for it. it. That's okay. <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna pop back in, but <laughs> um. So we said, oh wait, what is a gist? I don't know. And uh, he wanted to send me to an oncologist. Like, well, I need you to go to the oncologist right away. Uh, yeah, no problem. My infamous Cooper, the Wirefox Terrier, for my <laughs> got a little uh, Instagram page. It's kind of famous in the area. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, he's really a sweet little wire, but he's noisy. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. No worries. I have two dogs and two cats and three chickens. So anytime I do anything, I have to kind of preface with some, your chances are you're going to hear one of them. Right. I think I tried so hard. And then of course the neighbor's uh, husky got out loose and is running around the air in the neighborhood. So he's, he's a little wound up from that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no problem. So, um, well, so what was very interesting was how quickly I went from um, one doctor to the next to the next. And when the surgeon said, I need you to go to the oncologist, um, we knew that this, I needed to see somebody else. Um, so I read through a little research and found a specialist, a GIST specialist over in Lexington at the University of Kentucky Healthcare System. And um, just then became very proactive um, on my own to get an appointment to get in there. So I was on the phone every day for a week to see this doctor and they finally scheduled me in. And when we got there, he told me that, it, you know, these were his exact words. He said, um, if I was a betting man, I would bet this is not a gist tumor. And so we said, well, okay, so then well, what is it? And he said, well, I need a biopsy. And, um, and at the time, you know, this, this this event was looming on the calendar like the third week of um april and which event in, in seattle that speaking event that big speaking event and cooking event and um i was going i didn't i didn't care what they told me i thought i'm i'm gonna go because if there's a problem here i'm just gonna forge ahead and i may never get a chance so um we scheduled the biopsy and my husband said all she really wants to know is if she can go to seattle <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy because your your professional and creative career is like really exploding and then all of a yes. sudden this thing is happening almost simultaneously I mean it's just so was so like ironic that I finally felt like I made it I may I've always wanted to speak about this I always wanted to be on a national stage and here I am and um I was in New Orleans about six months prior um on a speaking again. So I was like, I'm the trajectory is going in the direction I want. Right. Mm -hmm. But I had this major stopping point, of course. And, um, so 
the day after the event, Leslie was coming to pick me up to take me to the luncheon and the phone, the phone rang and, you know, I'm standing in the hotel. There's a hotel in Seattle that's right on the waterfront. So it faces out to Elliott Bay. It's absolutely beautiful. And the doors open so I can smell the air, the briny air it was so delightful. And I've got this blouse on that's kind of got this bow and I've got a sweater and I'm fussing and fussing grab my lipstick, throw it in the bag, the phone rings. It's that's Lexington, Kentucky exchange, you know, the call I've been waiting for and dreading. And when he, he had to repeat like my, what my cancer was like five times, I swear, because I could not understand what, like my mind wasn't grasping what he was telling me. Mm. And um, so I was like, wait, I'm going to have to write it down. And he said, okay, so now uh, when are you coming home? And I said, well, I'm going to be home on Sunday. This was on a on a Friday. And he said, well, we're going to schedule you for Tuesday to get the port put in. Like it was happening so fast. So wow. he said, stay on the phone, stay close to the phone. You're going to have to answer the phone. And I said, I'm on my way to a luncheon. <laughs> and he said, well, just don't, you need, I need 10 minutes. Like it was the craziest, like logistical maneuvering of like time. So when I got to, um, in, down to the lobby to see Leslie, um, I had not told her that there was something going on. And um, we got in the car and I said, Leslie, the phone's going to ring and I have to take it. Like my husband is calling and the doctor's going to call. And, and I pointed to my big belly and said, this is not a food baby. I have cancer. And um, we were just shell shocked. And she, I mean, she couldn't even, her hand was literally hovering over the key, like to start the car. And like, it was just amazing. You would have never yeah. known. You yeah. just, I mean, just like at one of those, you've got to be kidding me. Kind surreal of moment. moment. Yeah. Super surreal moment. So we got to the lunch and I said, and, and she just looked and we just hugged and I said, my God, I hope they have wine at the luncheon. <laughs> 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 and um, I don't know how I made it through that luncheon, to be honest. I, I mean, don't I, either. I don't know how I, I mean, I was very, I feel like um, I just kind of compartmentalized that and said, this is something I have to deal with, but not right now. Like right now I'm going to live in the now and my friends are here and these are the lovely people and they want to know more about me. And this is, this whole luncheon was set up for me. So I'm going to, I'm just going to power through it. And I, and I did, and, um, you know, it was an hour and a half later. And then, um, I left and walked back to the hotel, you know, Seattle, if you've ever been is a beautiful like, yeah, waterfront and, and so I went into the spice store and bought some spices based on what Diane at Diane's kitchen, where we had the lunch and told me to go. And, and then I said to the fellow, well, where's the, where's the local weed store? And he said, <laughs> let's let, pull it up. They're, they're everywhere. Right. <laughs> so, um, so I bought a blunt and crazy enough, I told the fellow, I said, I don't want to be out of it. I just need to take a little edge off. Cause I didn't know how to, I was going to deal for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, because my flight was leaving like the next morning at 11. So it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of time in between now, you know, I really need to go chill. And um, so I'm back to the hotel and um, I tried to get a rental. They were renting guitars and I thought I'll just rent the guitar and, you know, take a puff and just chill out and re relax. And, you know, they had a nice um, restaurant in the hotel. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, that became like, a super surreal experience. And then by the time I got 
home from Seattle within two days, I was in the hospital. And then I was in the hospital. Um, they decided to do um, chemotherapy first to try to shrink the tumor because it was, it was still growing. Like there was a lot of, and it was very aggressive because clearly it, I was not like 12 months pregnant in April. Um, I, I literally, right. it really just blew up. It like blew up. Like we were all just, in fact, I, I even looked at pictures of myself in March because I flew to Pittsburgh to um, my niece's um, baby shower. And I remember telling my sister, I said, I got a little bit of bloat in my belly. And she said, oh, yeah, because she knows I'm, you know, fit. And she said, how do you do it? I said, I can't hold it in. Something's going on here. And I had, I still didn't know. But like you would have, it wasn't like a 12-month bloat. Like it was like I had like PMS bloat or, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, so the chemotherapy was, was brutal. Um, I don't know if you want me to go. I mean, well, how, so how long of a journey was the, the chemo? Did you have, you had chemo and surgery? I did have both. So the chemo started right away in April. I was to do uh, four rounds of um, five day in hospital chemo. So they did 24 seven drip five days wow. on 21 days off. And then I did that for, and that was, that was um, the chemo nearly killed me twice, literally. Um, so when I got home the first time um, I was home for about three days and then my gut seized up and I couldn't, I was literally bent over. I couldn't walk. So I went to the local hospital and um, I had uh, E. coli in my blood. Um, so I had um, sepsis. And so I was there for seven days. Oh, right. And then I came home and just said, you know, the Dr. Patel, my oncologist said, what do you want to do? I said, well, you're almost like once you start with chemotherapy, you actually have to stay with the regimen or it's not effective. So, um, so I, went, I said, okay, I'm okay with that. Let's go. Like I've got to obviously get rid of this tumor in my belly. And, um, so I went for the second round and, um, the second round, I lost my hair. All my hair came out. That was like, we knew that was going to happen. Um, and then when I got home, um, I, by the second day, I knew I was, something was terribly wrong. Like I could barely get myself out of bed. Um, and so I called the hospital and my um, blood pressure had dropped to like 85 over 50. Um, I had no, like my blood, white blood count was totally gone. Like I was just wasted and whipped. So I was there for 10 days in the local hospital again. Mm. And then, um, yeah, and then it's, it's just amazing, right? And then I went back for the third round. She said, well, how are you feeling? I'm like, well, we, what's my choice? Like the doctors, um, the surgeons already told me that I only had one shot at surgery. And that meant if they opened me up and they can't get the tumor out, they were just gonna close me back up and send me back home for, with hospice. Mm. And so I said, okay, well, that's not an option, right? So you need to do your job. So at this point, I knew I had to do the chemo no matter what, like something was going to kill me and I wasn't going to not try to save my life. So I went back in for the third round. And at that point I wasn't eating at all. So even though my stomach was still growing, like I was withering, withering away, like nutritionally, um, I couldn't get food down. Um, not only was the chemo affecting me, but the tumor was so large, it was pushing my pushing up against my stomach, which was pushing up against my heart. Um, and so they gave me um, Ativan to try to calm me down and get me to eat some food. Well, the Ativan reacted with one of the chemotherapies and I went into a psychotic hallucination for like two days. Oh, God. 
<laughs> what an experience. Oh my gosh. It's just nuts. And I went, um, I, I'll just never forget. I just, you'd think this could possibly ever happen. And so I'll tell you what I had to, um, I noticed that in the daytime I was reading and I was writing the whole entire time. Like I was writing my journal. I was writing my experience because I knew at some point I'd want to write a memoir and write, and I need some notes, you know? So I kept myself very active in the hospital. Um, luckily I have a, a large family. And so I always had somebody with me at some point staying in the hospital, um, not literally in the hospital, but with me. Right. But I, so I was doing a ton of reading and writing and, um, I remember that it felt like there were nets in front of me or like dust motes. And it was something because I was like swatting the way. I'm like, well, this is like a sterile, like totally sealed room. Like there's no food in here. Where did those gnats come from? And I didn't really think anything of it because it wasn't consistent. And, and so I later in the day, um, I took it up. It's funny when you're in the hospital for a long period of time, you start to get a routine. And so for me, my routine was make it until six or seven o'clock at night and then turn the TV on. Like I was not one to have like the TV on all day long. I wanted to keep myself busy with other things. And um, so my go-to channel was HGTV. I got sucked into like the reality show home TV. And so that was my routine. So I put the TV on and I normally would drift off from the medicine or whatever, like while I was like, you know, and so I woke up in the middle of the night, I had to urinate because when you have a big, like 20 pound tumor on your belly, it's like, you know, I always have to go to the bathroom. Well, when I got up, um, the monitor was plugged in the wall as it normally is. And I pulled it, I yanked it because I couldn't get it out. And I didn't want to, like, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the bathroom. And I yanked it, but I actually yanked one of the um, IV cords out. Oh. And then I yanked another cord out and then started dragging the monitor across and just real. And I looked up at the TV and the TV was showing a gun, a silver gun with dripping blood and a ticker tape running across the bottom saying that the hospital was in lockdown and that um, President Obama was shot and Donald Trump got impeached and everybody that had to have a white band on had to take their white band off on their wristband and get out of the hospital. And this was like total hallucination like, what yeah like what and then my bladder released and then I was like oh my god and all I could think is where are my gold sparkly slippers like they I, I didn't want them to be in the pee like this is how erratic it was <laughs> and I look oh, over man. and I see the slippers under the bed and I'm like oh thank god and I run to the door and I yank the door open and I'm like looking for people like where's every, is everybody everybody's gone now I open up my door the hallway's empty I'm thinking I'm the only survivor like I run back I still see the thing on the tv and I run back to the door and this little nurse comes walking up the hall or a CNN I can't remember a, a CNA and I said oh my god like I need help I need to get out of here there's is you know something about lockdown and her eyes got really big <laughs> And she must have realized what was happening to me. And she like took off and got help. And then, you know, the nurses piled in the room and we're just like, and I'm just freaking out about this wristband on my wrist. And I'm like yelling at everybody, who did you vote for? And, you know, you need to get that white band off so you can get out of here. <laughs> wow. I was like, oh my goodness. So, um, so they gave me an, a counter infusion to, to bring me off that, that, 
psychosis. Um, and then the next day, um, I had like an auditory hallucination. And um, so that lasted like another, I didn't, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I thought I was going mad. I was like, I this bet. is what people go, this is how people go mad. And I was so lucid at one point when the nurses came in, I was like, I was popping in and out of this. And I was like, I'm never going to remember this. I need something to write on. I'm a writer. And I'm like, screaming, give me a piece of paper. <laughs> they were like terrified of me. They come running in with like their little sheet of paper, like, here you go, here you go. So, so eventually you get, then you get to surgery and then, then you're on the road to recovery, right? Right. So I had one more. So after I got out of that, then they said, okay, no more in hospital for you. I had one more round of chemo that they just did um, outpatient and just did like a straight two hour drip, like speed lining, like the poison in my system. Ugh. And then three weeks later, I went in for the surgery. Um, and so, yeah, it took them 10 hours. Wow. And there's 10 hours. And they, they, so they removed, and then the challenge with the tumor was it had wrapped itself around my vena cava. Um, it wrapped itself around my spleen, my left kidney. So it originated in the, in the left kidney and started wrapping itself around my side, which is why initially I felt like I had that thickening of the waist in the back. Cause I was like, wow, what's happening here. And then it just overtook everything and pushed like all of my organs to the side. So they took um, my spleen, my left kidney and adrenal gland, 60% um, of my colon, um, two thirds of my diet, my um, pancreas is gone. Um, I mean, it's, they had scraped wow. it off my diaphragm. I mean, it's a miracle that I'm alive for sure. It is, it is. And I, I did not know all that. I didn't know the details and, and yeah. I'm even more blown away because not only have you survived that, but you're actually literally thriving. Like it's unbelievable <laughs> watching yeah. what you're doing. It's almost like you didn't miss a beat. And so I believe that you were writing all the way through this and, yeah. and you've got, let's see, you have a newsletter called four pillars to creative badassery. I like it. I do. I like it a lot. Yes, I do. And, and so, so tell us what, tell us what you've been doing since getting through the cancer treatment. Sure. Yeah. So, um, by, by the beginning of um, January, um, I had gained probably six or seven pounds. When I came out of the hospital, I was 96 pounds um, and I still was not able to eat. So eating ironically was like the problem. Like how do I learn to re-eat? Um, mm. I spent my entire professional career eating and selling food and teaching people how to eat. And then I, I couldn't eat anything. They had that me on- It is ironic. It's so ironic. Um, they had me on TPN for six weeks where TPN is like a liquid nutrition IV. And then, um, but by December I was in a good shape. I was in good shape, good enough to go back on chemo. So I didn't actually go back on chemo, but, um, oral chemo. So it wasn't, it wasn't terribly hard on my body and I was able to function in a regular way. And I was able to start walking again, like small little quarter mile distances. Um, and then in the meantime, I was still writing, um, and also a friend of mine, um, um, was wanting to write her cancer memoir and, um, we had, I had been coaching her prior to just trying to give her some advice on structure and format. Um, and the more we talked about it and the more we realized, um, she really needed somebody to write her story for her. So I agreed to write her book. So I wrote her book. I wrote midlife cancer crisis. 
um, while I was in cancer recovery, because who better to write a cancer memoir than somebody who has experienced cancer. Right. Um, now her cancer was totally different than mine, um, but that doesn't even matter. She told me her story and I wrote the story of it. So I've co-authored a book while I was in recovery. Um, I decided to launch an art business and I'd always, I'd always been an artist at heart. Um, you know, when you're growing up and someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wanted to be an artist, um, but my mom was practical. We were, um, I was raised in a family of, I have 11 siblings and we had a single parent. My father died when I was very young, seven years old. And um, so things were, it was a struggle growing up. And, you know, when I got, it was time to go to college, mom's like, you know, you can't make any money. You need a, you need a trade, you need a career, you need something. So I said, okay, so, you know, push that to the side. But I always, had always been interested in drawing and sketching and, um, when I was in recovery in the hospital, um, they brought a, it was just a love, I ne would never think I was going to say to somebody, this was a lovely experience, but maybe lovely is not the right word. But if I had to be in a place, um, this was a fantastic hospital. They had a reflexologist that came in. There was a music therapist that came in, art therapist came in. And um, I think the art therapist really triggered this whole, like, this is my gift. Cancer gave me the gift. Like I love to draw and my passion is all about seafood and ocean conservation. And um, one of the biggest threats happening in that world, in that, in that space is ocean pollution. And so I thought I'm going to create some art to support that plastic pollution awareness. And so that's what I did. So I came home and I just started sketching and drawing. And a friend of mine gifted me some watercolor pencils and I started playing with them and loving them. And so I started creating these whimsical sea creatures and adding like bits of plastic to the watercolor paper to tell a story. Um, and so from there, it's sort of, I said, oh, this is just a lovely little experience. I started to do commission art. And um, so I just set up my website and now I do commission art. I actually just took a commission to do um, an orchid slipper for a friend who's actually gifting it to another friend. And um, yeah, so I'm going to do some pop-up art. So I've got two scheduled for one online and one at the local farmer's market here this summer. Um, so I've got that going on. And then of course I've got the newsletter, which is all about the uh, four pillars to creative badassery is really all about finding purpose and balance and wellness. So there's all these things that kind of go in with creative badassery. It's not necessarily um, geared for people that want to paint or write or whatever. I mean, it is because that's my passion. And I think if you're even kind of leaning into, let me see what I can do with this, um, Four Pillars to Badassery kind of helps you. So I talk, um, I'll be talking a little bit more about those pillars on the, on the um, newsletter um, as I go forward. And um, and then I'm writing a memoir. So I'm writing my memoir wow. and it's called, it's called hungry and it's about trauma, obviously, and through the scene through the lens of food. So, wow. Um, wow. So talk a little bit more about that if you would. Yeah. Um, so I've always felt like, um, when you're writing memoir, um, you know how, you know, you're, you're an author, you know, um, you have a kind of a list of like turning points in your life. Like 
so memoir is usually a situation or for me, it's about, it's about food. And, and even though my cancer um, is not food related, they, they haven't done enough research um, on liposarcoma to know what the cause of um, cancer is, but there's plenty of evidence to indicate that trauma can create stress induced disease. Um, food, um, maybe I, I think it's in my, my unprofessional medical opinion, um, I feel like it's probably an environmental issue um, because there's so much, um, our, our food system is a mess, you know, which we could go on a whole other podcast about that. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should, I would love to talk to you more about that. Yeah. Maybe we, I would love to like dive, take a deep dive on something like that. But so I think for me, my, my, uh, my turning points with the food happened like from back in the day, you know, I had some trauma, sexual trauma growing up and food was kind of my lifeline to that. Like I, I began to binge eat, binge eat. I thought I could find comfort in food. And if my, and if I made myself, um, unappealing, you know, to men, then perhaps I wouldn't be a target, um, which is the craziest thing. And I know I'm not the only one that has, you know, experienced that. Um, so I feel like some of those turning points are parts of the uh, conversation in the memoir. And then, you know, of course, the big um, catalyst is like the whole, I finally get to the pinnacle of my career in food. And then of course, I can't eat because of this cancer that renders me unable to eat because, you know, it's exploding on the inside of me. And now of course, um, my digestive system is totally like reconfigured. Um, what I didn't know about the digestive system so much was the pancreas is such, plays in, it's such an uh, incremental role in digestion. And um, with two thirds of that gone, like I have to now be very careful about um, the foods I eat. So for instance, um, I can't eat a lot of the cancer fighting foods that I want to eat, like the crucible vegetables, like broccoli and kale. And, you know, those really hard rudimentary deep green vegetables, kale is very hard for me to digest. Um, I can't eat beans and legumes. Like those things are so good and healthy. Those just, it does not work for me. Um, I had to quit drinking coffee, my beloved latte. I just loved a latte Aww. every day. Um, because it just stimulates my system too quickly. And because I have so little, you know, um, but so it's really been an event, very interesting adjustment. Um, I am not even, um, my last chemo was in June of last year. So I'm not even a full year out of full chemo. And I feel like I've made the turn, which is really exciting. So physically, I feel like I've made the turn. Like I walk all the time. Walking certainly very helps. Um, low stretching, low impact yoga. Um, I'm learning Tai Chi, which is something very new to me, which is kind of exciting. And um, I yeah, just, just, I love it. It's, it's, it's almost like you haven't missed a beat and yet it's, it's completely influenced your life in, in such a big way. And, and it's almost like the, the lid has been blown off of your creativity and now it's just coming out it's coming out of your pores. It's coming it out is. of all these projects. And that's, I reached out to you because, well, I've been watching your artwork and I remember thinking, wow, I didn't know she was an artist. And then seeing the book and I, well, I, knew, I knew you had the book. And so seeing the book and then seeing the artwork and then you posted something about having done, I think you did a four mile walk. And I was like, man, she's just incredible. 
she had cancer, right? I started to question whether or not I was confusing you with somebody else because, because of how alive you are and with everything that it is that you're doing. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you and get your story because I, it feels like so many people around me, there are so many people in my life that have cancer or have had cancer. And, yes. and so when I see somebody like you who has, who has come through, and I didn't even know how, how serious it was and what mm -hmm. you had been through, right. but seeing somebody go through that and just kind of turn that into fuel for your creative life, the way that you have, it's, it's inspiring. Even if it wasn't for the cancer that you had survived, right. what you're doing would be inspiring. But then when you add that to it, because, and I knew it hadn't been that long ago. So it's, it's really incredible. And I can't wait to read your memoir. I appreciate you saying that. I think um, sometimes I forget I had cancer. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I have to, I say to myself, I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, I'm healthy. I weigh 123 pounds now. The doctors are very happy with that weight. I'm very happy with that weight. You know, prior to the cancer, um, I weighed like 135. I was carrying 135. I was even okay with that. I wore a size eight clothes. I was, you know, I'm like, I'm, I was healthy. I was athletic. Um, I feel like when I look in the mirror, I'm like, God, did I have cancer? I forget wow. I had cancer. Because yeah. it's easy to forget when um, there's so much life to, to be had. I always feel like um, cancer really defines a lot of people. And, um, and I think it's easy to get caught up in that. I think one of the things I was, um, I got into some, it's hard not to grieve for one. Like, and I, and I think you have to, that's right. I think you have yeah, that's to. part of the process. Yes. It's part of, and I was grieving. In fact, on my last appointment with the doctor, so I'm NED, which in my world means no evidence of disease. Mm, so congratulations. Um, that's good. News. So I go every three months for a scan. Um, the cancer, the doctors didn't mince any words. They indicate that um, I have a very high chance of recurrence. Um, it was a very aggressive cancer. So it was stage 3B. And stage 3B is the stage before stage four. And um, stage four is not a good sign. Like mm -hmm. um, this cancer would metastasize to my lungs, which if that was the case, it would be really a problem. And of course, in the day of the pandemic with COVID it being a respiratory issue, like it was really imperative that, you know, I just stay put and which of course I did anyway. Um, All the so, more opportunity to cultivate that creativity. So what right, a good like, for that. Yes, I feel like it was the gift. Like cancer actually gave me a gift. And um, my gift is, because it's not really what happens to you, Erica, it's what you do with it mm -hmm. that matters, right? And so for me, there's, I have no risk. I have my, like the risk of the fear of like failure is gone because like I could have died on the operating table. I could have, yeah. you know, if, if I didn't come off the opera, if I came off that operating table, I would not be sitting here talking to you right now. Um, so I have nothing to be afraid of at this point. I'm like, wow, I wish I felt this like 10 years ago. Um, wow. I mean, in 10 years ago, I probably did, but I think, you know, I might've, who knows, you know, if I would have moved forward with my creativity 20 years ago, I think um, I was so busy living my life. You know, you think you're in your forties and you have the rest of your life ahead of you and you're 
busy working and dating or relationships, life is very, very busy. And, um, but yeah, now I, I know that, you know, they tell me that, um, I have 10 years. So my Dr. Kavanaugh said, we're going to become really good friends. And, uh, I said, yeah, we are. Cause I have to go over there every three months for the next 10 years. So I've got wow. one year down and, um, I just count, I don't just don't let that get ahead of, I don't let it like when it yeah. starts to like get you cry, I just say, wait a minute. Um, it's great that you're staying in the now, you know, because we can get ahead of ourselves and, and we know our thoughts are powerful and creative. And so why not just keep keep that energy focused on what it is that you're creating, which it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And it's really easy to fall back too. you know, it's really easy to fall back and say, oh, feel sorry for myself. Like I, I was going to mention I was in um, with the with the grief. Um, you have to there's no way around it. Like you have to go through that grief. And uh, writing really helps. Meditation really helps. Um, daily meditation has really helped. Um, and you really, I think um, people get overwhelmed with meditation. I want to do it. I want to do it. And then they forget. It's only 10 minutes mm -hmm. in a day. Like everybody has 10 minutes. You know, we all have the same 24 seven. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about where this is going. If nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, you know, one of my goals is to when we all open the world opens back up is to get back out um, speaking at the aquariums and even potentially taking some art into the aquarium with children and showing them like how to create art to make us to tell a story. I and love I think, it. Yeah, I think that's like kind of that would be that's kind of out there on my little wish list of things to do. So Wow. Well, I just have to say how incredibly inspiring you are. And thank you for having the courage to share your story so candidly like that. And I would love to do another interview where we specifically talk about uh, seafood and the oceans and what we're dealing with. I would love to do that if, if you're willing. Oh, I would love, I would be honored to come back and talk with you. That would be great. And so, so tell people where they can find you and and what you have to offer is, I know the newsletter is a good place to start. So maybe tell yeah. them how they can sign up for that. Excellent, thank you. Yes, um, you can find me um, on my website, of course, maureenseaberry.com. And um, you can sign up for the newsletter there. There'll be an annoying little pop-up box at some point if you stay on there long enough to encourage you to subscribe. Um, the message will be, are you ready to start the life you want to create? And then you just sign up and you'll get the four pillars to success and excuse me, to create a badassery hmm. You create your success. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm in your inbox the third Sunday of every month with updates on um, inspiration on books, music, and art. You can find out, you can shop on my website, maureenseaberry.com shop and uh, commission an art piece. You can find information about my cookbook, which if it's available in print and ebook and I'm on all the socials. So find me on the socials too. And, and can look up. it's Maureen C, the letter C, Barry, B as in boy, E-R-R-Y.com, Maureen C, Barry.com. And basically they can find all of your offerings there about your book, your art, everything. Yeah, absolutely. The newsletter, everything. That's pretty much the easy way, the short, the short way around is the website for sure. And on the socials. And I'm, I'm available to talk to anybody if anybody's like, can't figure out how to move forward with their cancer. Um, I, I would just put a hand out and say, 
you know, I'm here for you because I know what it's like. I've been there. Mm, wow. Thank you for being that resource for people and, and for being awesome. such an inspiration and for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of All Ways Evolving. Please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think might appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, let me know by leaving me a five-star rating. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing, keep evolving.